Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. You are now joining us for part two of our discussion of David A. Brondos's 94 Theses. All right, maybe a couple more? Yeah, so I'd like to mention number six because in my notes I, I actually say I totally agree. Totally in all caps and underlined. Um, I maybe in a conversation, if we fleshed this out, we wouldn't find quite as much agreement. But as far as I can read it charitably on paper, I think thesis number six is excellent. All right. So I'll read it out. It is good to speak of salvation as shalom, which in Hebrew means wholeness. Shalom encompasses both body and soul, since we cannot be physically whole without being emotionally and spiritually whole. Nor can we be whole as individuals without belonging to communities that are also whole. Yeah. I, yeah. There, there are several of these throughout where in the midst of ones where I'm pulling my hair out and, and I'm asking like, what Bible is he reading? Right. I come to a point and read it and I'm going, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, Spot on. This is great. We, we are embodied spirits or inspirited bodies. Um, we simple physical wholeness is not what it means to have full peace. Um, being emotionally well, I mean, it, it, it is it is a holistic sense, and it's more than just individualist. Right, right. We're so, made to be in fellowship with one another. Yeah, we're made to be in fellowship with God. Yeah. Um, so uh, we can't do it right. If we're by ourselves, yeah. uh, we need the fellowship of the body, which I find very encouraging, very um, helps me to stay humble, helps me to stay on track, all those good things that the Bible talks about. So uh, I completely agree with this one. Yeah. In fact, one big area of concern for me in our culture is isolated Christians or kind of the Lone Ranger believer where they're not part of the local body, they don't go worship regularly. On any given Sunday morning, you don't know where they're going to be. And um, one, I think it's concerning because they're not going to get the spiritual food that they need. And so they're getting spiritually starved. Two, someone who is habitually absent from the corporate worship of God's people, I would say on Sundays, um, per the fourth commandment, but that's a different episode. Um, as I was listening to Vody Bauckham preach through Revelation, he made what I find just to be an excellent point. People who won't join a local church in worship but still claim Christ, you, you got to ask them, if you don't like God's people now, what makes you think you're going to like heaven? Where all we're told is that we all stand around together, communing together and worshiping God together. So if you don't want to do that now on earth, what makes you think you're going to want to do it later? So it, um, I, I think particularly the last point about belonging to community um, really is it, something that's a burden on my heart given our culture today. And so I, I just thought number six was excellent. Just really, really well done. And I'll just add more the, the I think it's the left brain um, side of that is we're commanded to do certain ordinances as a body in the New Testament era. Uh, namely baptism, the Lord's Supper, how church discipline, church discipline, which yeah. kind of requires <laughs> you to be a member of a church. So how do we uh, exercise those things if we are, even if we have maybe a small gathering of one or two, three people, 
I mean, I guess there's some ways you could, could do those things, but I don't think it's going to have the full orb that it's meant to have that's described in the New Testament uh, when we do those things. So, um, yeah, and people that are in two or three by necessity, like in places in the Middle East or whatever, like I'm not talking about, I'm talking about in America sure. today where there's a church on every corner and the only reason you sit at home on a Sunday and won't join a church basically boils down to pride or your own discomfort. It, it's not a lack of opportunity. No, it's not a lack of Most of the time. Right. Uh, that's that's what I'm addressing. Certainly, there are edge cases, and I don't want anybody to get mad at me. But by and large, the people that I know that I'm talking about have plenty of opportunity and are choosing not to, and that's what concerns me. Yeah. There's also a rampant um, internet church. Uh, so I saw some folks commenting, you know, where are you going to go to church? Today? I think we want to stay home and just watch church from the internet, which is still not. I don't. Find that not not only is there not the internet in the New Testament, but <laughs> the idea that one could be working later. Yeah, one could be separate that uh, that way and still get all of the feeding and prodding and you know I, there's times where I go to church and I see someone doing something and it convicts me. I should be able to do that and it helps spur me on to, to good works. Yeah. Um, you're not going to get that from sitting at home. Right. And again, to make sure that we're balanced, we have people in our congregation who are unable to attend. Sure. That's not what we're talking about. No. We're, we're talking about people who decide, I'm not going to church for whatever reason when yep. they could, yep. in all their accounts, attend. But if you're prevented, I think the internet is fantastic. Sure. Absolutely, yes. But not as a replacement. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, we're, yeah. Yep. yeah. There are edge cases where folks have, you know, like there's a lady who has mast cell disease who used to come to our church regularly. She's literally allergic to everything. Um, and so she has to, you know, partake away. And I'm sure, and I've heard her say, how she would love to be with a body because she misses that interaction. So, yeah. All right. Um, since we're running short on time, well, I think 14 is probably too important to skip um, because I think, I think it deals with issues of epistemology, right? So I'll go ahead and read out well, 14 is kind of long. Um, I'll just read kind of some of the first, and we might see if we touch on the end or not. No person, group, or community has a God-given right to define God's will unilaterally. The only way we can seek to understand and define God's will adequately is to enter into dialogue with one another, making every effort to see things from the perspective of others. I'm sorry, this is just wrong. This, I, I, can't, I can't find a way to read this charitably without just coming to the conclusion that this is false. Um, now, on the one hand, I agree with this first statement. No person, group, or community has a God-given right to define God's will unilaterally. True. Um, because God has done it for us. Right. God has self-defined His will and revealed it to us. Yeah, so as you were reading, I was turning to 1 Thessalonians 4, which is one of those telltale passages. 
for, for three, Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And there's other places where Paul will say, this is the will of God for you yeah. in your life. Right. So just like you're saying, yeah, it's not like I'm dreaming up what God's will is. God's revealed it to us. Right. And then it, it gets worse because he goes on to say, the only way we can seek to understand and define God's will is by talking to each other. And, and I'm going, what Bible is he reading? Because um, this Bible tells me that if you and I try to hash it out, we'll end up doing what's right in our own eyes, which was not a commendation of Israel in the book of Judges. Right. Right. It, yeah. It's never, God never comes to a people and says, you guys got it figured out. That's amazing. No, it's always, you guys fell in the ditch. You guys departed. I mean, in Israel, I gave you guys the law, and, and a couple hundred years later, they discover the law and are amazed because they hadn't even seen it. And, I mean, it, it's a, it's a, inevitably the story is people falling away from God's own self-revealed will. So it, I don't know why somebody would say this. I don't know why somebody what proclaiming Christ would have this opinion. Yeah, I don't know that why someone proclaiming Christ would have this opinion. I mean, I think there have been times in religious systems where there have been people in great power who have said, "This thus says the Lord, and they have used that power and the supposedly speaking on behalf of, of God to further their power. Mm -hmm. But in general, that's not what's going on in Christendom today. Obviously, you may have some folks who are gaining lots of money from um, having some type of ministry like that. But generally, especially, you know, the folks who would be most uh, accused of saying, you know, this is God's will for you, you know, people like you and me, you know, conservative evangelicals, we value scripture and what God has revealed to it. We're saying this is what God said. This is God's will for us. This is how we know what's true and what's false. Which seems much more trustworthy a way of figuring out what God's will for our lives is than you and I or you and someone else getting together and discussing and saying, uh, maybe this is it, maybe this is it. I think maybe we can do this. Um, it seems 180 degrees out to me. Yeah, and I think the way it continues shows that divergence because the next sentence is, you know, he's talking about we discover God's will by this dialogue, and this dialogue must be as inclusive as possible and be open to both believers and non-believers. I'm, I'm sorry, but my pneumatology tells me that a non-believer has almost no chance of saying anything productive about knowing the will of God. Yeah, this is just... I'm certainly not going to put a non-believer in the pulpit. Right. right. Yeah, it's amazing to me uh, the what he's striving for here. I'm trying to even put in my response into words. The, the idea that man, especially sinful man, even those of us who have been redeemed, we are still shackled to the old man, Paul says, mm -hmm. and we still have this uh, you know, sin nature in us that's at war. Now to let that in with folks who don't have redemption, who don't have you know, the actions of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and to think that us together are going to be able to come up with God's will 
better than what God did just through his prophets and apostles and through his son is it's astonishing to me. Yeah. So, I, I mean, if this were an argument for sola scriptura, to say, as the reformer said, the church cannot declare God's will unless they can back it up with scripture, I, I think I would be in agreement with that. In fact, this one ends, uh, I, I marked out for the same reason, so I'll, I'll read, it's only part of his sentence, but I agree with this part. No person or group of people can be regarded as the final authority on what the scriptures say. I agree with that. But I must, I, I, I still maintain the scriptures are the way that God has revealed his will. The scriptures are what we ought to approach in order to discover God's will. It's not a dialogue among us. It's not inclusive of this person and that person, especially the people who normally aren't listened to. That, that just doesn't go into the equation. Right? The, the equation is God has revealed his will to us through the scriptures, the inherent infallible scriptures. We study and, and, and we search them to find Christ. And in the scriptures, we find God's will revealed for us and to us. That, so yeah, I, I agree. You know, our pastor does not have the ultimate authority to bind my conscience. Scripture does. But that's, I think, very different from what he's actually saying here. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. And perhaps, you know, we, he's pushing back against Catholicism who says, you know, in order to understand Scripture, we've got to go to, their, to them and get their interpretation. And then, of course, that always begs the question, well, who's going to interpret their interpretation for me? How do right. I understand? And, and so... Yeah, so I, I think maybe for a local church, you could have, in fact, in our local church, we have, you know, part of our constitution says that the elders are the final authority for this church. But but I, it was very carefully written to say, not to mean for the whole world. We're just, because we're a body, we have to be somewhat of like mind as we are writing, as we are uh you know, worshiping and, and living out life together, but ultimately the the word of God should be able to speak for itself. Obviously, so people are going to read it and understand it at different levels. There's going to be you know some who are more learned in, in than others and can say, "All right, here's where you're misunderstanding." And, oh, you know, that sense you might be an authority, but the word of, of God needs to speak for itself. We don't need a uh, a council that tells us this is what the Bible says, and we, then we listen to it. And, and even within the understanding of our church's constitution, statement of faith, I don't know what the official term yeah. is, um, we recognize that elders can be wrong. Yes. So just as they're recognized as the authority for this local body, they're not infallible authorities, right. and they're always subject to checks from other elders and from sure. the body, and so it... It, it's really the scriptures that undergird everything Absolutely. as the authority. Absolutely. And the elders have their authority in as much as they parallel the scriptures. Exactly. And then if the elder walks away from the scriptures, then they walk away from their authority. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so... One more. Let's do one more, and then uh, we'll wrap it. Oh, boy. Okay. Then I'd say we... Probably need to go to 21, and we're going to have to do another episode. <laughs> I guess there, there's, I've got too many more notes that, I mean, I went into multiple colors on this wow. page. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, 21, um, which I've labeled wrong, wronger, and wrongest. Great, that's good. 
The New Testament teaching that Jesus died for our sins should, yeah, yeah. Yeah. should not be understood in the sense that Jesus' death made it possible for God to forgive us. Wrong. Nothing has ever prevented God from forgiving anyone at any time. Wronger. Rather, that phrase should be interpreted to mean that Jesus gave up his life so that his efforts to save us from our sinful and destructive ways might be successful. Wrongest. <laughs> Um, um, I'll let, since I read it, I'll let you comment first while I'm flipping to something. Yeah, so my first idea is that, well, the thing that prevents God from forgiving us is God. You know, it's his nature and his rules um, that prevent him from forgiving us. He must punish sin, just like we think of police and detectives and the judicial system as being good when the guilty murderer or thief is caught and punished, that is a reflection of God's good nature. By his nature, the wrong must be punished. And that's the number one complaint against the fact that there is a God. The number one challenge to theism is the problem of evil. And their chief complaint is, why is there all this evil? I don't want evil in the world. Why are these wrong things happening. And in that, they acknowledge that this shouldn't happen. There should be some type of consequence for it. Well, part of the consequence is that we're separated from God by his nature. So God himself sets up this boundary that um, because of his nature, we're fallen. I don't mean to say that he's pushed his way. We've gone away from his perfect nature. And well, his holiness pushes us away. Yes, yeah, that's thanks. That's what I was trying to say. And so, uh, I just don't understand again what, what Bible is this reading? Because over and over and over again throughout the New Testament, what did the apostles preach? They preached Christ, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. And I'm assuming that may be what you turn to. Um, I'll get to that in a second. I do think it's interesting in light of this one, later in point number 50, which hopefully we'll get to in a future episode, he says, Jesus also teaches us that retributive justice must always exist for the sake of distributive justice. And the retributive justice of God is what prevents him from just saying it's okay. I mean, the, the sin is an actual thing. It, it actually incurs guilt. And Honestly, the idea that God can just kind of hand wave it away, that's an Islamic concept, not a Christian concept. Yeah, and to go back to the analogy of the police and, and the judicial system, one point that uh, Greg Kochel makes uh, a lot is that we wouldn't consider a police department and judge to be a very good system if they're like, oh yeah, we caught the murderer. He said he was sorry, so we let him go. Or didn't say he was sorry. Oh yeah, he's not repentant at all. Even worse. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're loving. We're a loving police department, so we let him go. Right. So and this to me comes back to point one, where it's requiring a nature of God that we would recognize in humans as being wrong. Right. It it would be wrong for a judge, and and, and later on he actually says things like this um, that that sometimes penalties are required for actions. But not if you're God, right? So, and, and uh, so, what I actually turned to was Romans three. Um, I'm indebted to, I believe that I got this concept initially from a book by John Piper, 
writing against N.T. Wright's view of justification. It's called The Future of Justification. It's a dense book. The first time I read it, I got about three quarters of the way through and had no idea, <laughs> no clue what I had read. So, so Dr. Howe, I don't know if you've met him before. I think he was at maybe one of the conferences you went to. But anyways, he talks about our philosophy books as the first time we're reading this like gargling peanut butter. <laughs> and he said, the more you do it, the easier it gets. So I'm assuming it's one of those not like that. I don't know that gargling peanut butter ever gets easy, but... Well, yeah, that's what it feels like the first time. Right, right? Yeah. but the more you gargle peanut butter, it... <laughs> <laughs> well, the more you read it, the less it's like gargle. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so he's the first one that I remember making this point, and it really makes sense to me, but I'm just going to read uh, Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Okay, right there, the righteousness of God kind of a big deal in Pauline theology, and I would say biblical theology. I mean, he's not the only one that talks about the righteousness of God. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We have a problem. That's the problem. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. I'm not to my main point yet, but propitiation is the removal of the guilt and the wrath. Right? So right. Means that's required. Satisfied. Right. That's required. The propitiation is required because we have a real serious problem. Right. Okay, but here's the main point. This action... God, God doing this, God propitiating our sin through Christ. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, Piper's argument, as far as I remember, it was basically this. Up until the cross, there was kind of this odd position that God was in from a human perspective. Where I appreciate you saying that. Where, well, it, he understood the plan. Absolutely. Right. But before the cross, he had not shown the fullness of the plan. And so you had all of this sin that was undealt with. Not only the sin of unbelievers, but specifically, and we can have a discussion of you know what was paradise or heaven or whatever before the cross, but specifically his people. How were their sins not immediately dealt with with the full wrath of God? And in part, the cross, in part, its purpose is for God to say, I am righteous. I am dealing with those. I'm not waving my hand. I'm not just going to make them disappear. There is a payment that is required. There is a payment that is going to be paid. And so that's how I take verse 25, to show God's righteousness, that he is saying, yes, sin is a reality. Yes, it prevents, that there is an innate quality and character of it that prevents me from just forgiving it to anybody at any time. And all that goes to the first word, just. Yeah. So that he might be just. Right. So... Paul is arguing that for God to just... So, so, nothing has ever prevented God from forgiving anyone at any time. Paul is completely contradicting that here. God himself is saying that the sin of mankind 
prevents me from just, I'm using hand waving because in like novel writing and stuff, when people want to introduce something but don't want to back it up, they just kind of introduce hand waving magic, right. right? God can't just wink at sin. He can't just say, oh, let's forget about it or ta-da, you're forgiven. Yeah. That something in has the Greek, to happen. called deus ex machina, like a machine from God that came down that saved, that ordered all the things that were bad. It was just like, ta-da, right. same, same idea. Right, and, and quite honestly, if that was possible, the cross was a huge waste. Right. I mean, the Son of God, deity incarnate, had his flesh flayed from his back as a mistake. Right. I mean, that it, it just it makes mincemeat of the core of the gospel. Uh, God takes sin seriously, and so, I, but there's two words here that I, that I remember the first time reading through these verses and it dawning on me. Because not only does God want to be just, but he also wants to be a justifier. Mm -hmm. And so he wants to be fair, he wants to be right, but he also wants to impart that righteousness to us, those, and as the verse you read says, those are the one who has faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, you know, the cross is a miracle in, in that God is allowed to both be those things. He's allowed to both be, just as you were saying, just. He's able to be fair. He's able to deal with sin in a serious way, like his nature requires, but at the same time have a means of justifying or providing his righteousness to cover us uh, through that propitiation that his son provided for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got through... All, a little over 20%. <laughs> yeah. It's better than I expected. Right, yeah. So, um, thanks for watching. If you've yep. made it this far, great. Hopefully you printed this off and, and read it along with us. Um, and do that. You go through, read what we've read, see if we're treating it fairly, comment down below. If, if you love it, great. If you don't, let us know why. Yeah. And um, you think we're wrong future. on something? Yeah. Sure. Let us know. And that may give something to discuss in a future episode. Yeah. And if you have any ideas that you'd like for us to take up, we have a, a list of things that we are planning to talk about. But obviously, we're open to what you would like to hear. If there's a question or a supposed contradiction or some, whatever it happens to be, as long as it's, you know, loosely related to theology plus then uh, it'll fit in the scheme of this. So thanks, and uh, any closing thoughts? Just want to echo that. This is not intended for us to have an echo chamber, right? The, the purpose is hopefully to benefit those who are watching. So um, we'd like to make it as beneficial as we can. Yeah, all right. Thanks for joining us on our first episode of Mike and Mike Theology Plus. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. 